it's good to be in New Zealand again. It's my eighth time to New Zealand. It's my favorite place in the world. Um, I feel like this has been the best time so far. Uh, Benji picked us up from the airport yesterday morning and didn't give us any sort of break. We were all over town, um, but I had an epic cultural experience yesterday. Um, what, what do you call it? Caddy Caddy? Is that a thing? Caddy Caddy? It's a beach out west. We went up in the hills, found a swimming hole, and uh, it was a cultural experience because there were some boys there. I couldn't understand a word they were saying. Um, they, were they from Gisborne or something? Um, but I discovered this thing, Manu. Never heard of it in my life. Manu's a new thing for me. And so uh, the boys tried to give me a, a Manu lesson, jumping into the swimming hole. Uh, probably goes to show I don't know how to do a Manu because I'm calling it a swimming hole. But uh, I, I learned a thing called the American backflop. So if any of you want to know the American backflop, I'd be happy to show you next time I'm in New Zealand. But uh, man, I had a good time out um, north this morning. It was encouraging because some kid asked me if I knew anything about the Bloods and the Crips. Um, <laughs> like the only feedback. Uh, and I took that as a, as a compliment. Um, I didn't know I looked that gangster, but thanks, man. I think it was that kid up there. So um, I don't know anything about the Bloods and the Crips. Uh, I live in a small beach town, and unfortunately, it's full of white people. So, um, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Anyways, should I preach or no? Um, like Sam said, I was part of Bible college eight years ago. It's actually pretty bizarre because back then, um, Shout Conference was on this stage. Um, I was a guitar tech for Shout Conference 2009. Um, and I think it, I think it might have been Tom O'Pearson who broke a guitar string. One of the guys, it was the most action I had, the whole Shout Conference. Someone broke a guitar string, came out here, fixed the string, ran it back out. And um, it was pretty epic, but it, it, it is <laughs> pretty, pretty surreal to be back on this platform. Back then we were doing church in the Merck. Um, so I think this is my first time actually being in church in the town hall. Um, it's, yeah, this is awesome. This is a good church. If you're new here, I promise you that if you plant yourself here, your life will flourish. Um, this is a place that entertains the presence of God that's about equipping you for life uh, through a genuine faith in Jesus. And uh, I guarantee you, if you spend enough time here, you'll get into some significant relationships and they'll push you to do things you wouldn't do on your own. Um, uh, I mentioned this morning, um, I just want to be vulnerable right off the bat. I just want to be out in the open, vulnerable. Um, I was actually surprised that they let me on this platform because I was actually caught cheating on an assignment in Bible college. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, Pastor Sam. You probably don't because I have the microphone. Um, it was uh, <laughs> Pastor Mark Stevenson uh, was leading the school then. And, um, and uh, unfortunately, the other person involved was Pastor Destiny. Um, <clears throat> we, were, we, we, were in the we were in the same year. Um, it was really late at night. I was only 18 years old. Um, <clears throat> The assignment was due that night. I had, I had nothing done. I hadn't even started. Um, and, in, in, and I just messaged her. I said, hey, Destiny, can you send me your paper just for inspiration? <laughs> just, just to get the gears turning. I would just love to have a look at it. I, I, I'm just, I'm clueless. I, I don't know where I'm headed with this thing. And 
so she, see, she sent me her paper, her assignment, and I looked at it and thought, man, that's pretty good. Um, it's pretty good and it's pretty late. And so what I did is I just changed the name. And I submitted the assignment. Here's the thing. Her last name used to be Stein. My last name's Sparrow. So in the sequence of reading these papers, these assignments, you see where I'm going. They would have read mine first and thought it was really good and then read Destiny's and I threw her under the bus. <laughs> no, I was honest about it, but I did have to have a meeting with Pastor Mark Stevenson <laughs> and I redid the assignment and I think I passed. I think I passed Bible college. If not, if not, I'm here now. Hold on, just clap while I open this water, cool? I did pass Bible college. It's a true story. <clears throat> but it is good to be here. Um, fortunately, my wife couldn't be here this time. Uh, she's amazing. A lot of you know her, Lene. She sends her love. Um, but, hey, I'm a firm believer in church. Um, I, I don't consider this just any other meeting, any other gathering. I've seen too much. I've seen God do too much in atmospheres like this to ever consider this just any other night. Um, well, after I got back from Bible college, I really didn't go to Bible college to get on a platform, to be honest. I went to Bible college because I had some friends who needed Jesus. And I figured that my step of faith might encourage them to take a step of faith themselves. And so when I got back... Um, I started hanging out with my friends, and most of my friends um, at that point had uh, gotten addicted to drugs and into a certain lifestyle. And just one night, night pretty similar to this, I invited one of my friends to church, and he didn't have a car. And uh, he, was, he was high at the time and needed a ride. And so my other friend, who was also on drugs, he gave him a ride to church. I mean, it's not the best idea to drive on drugs, so don't say John said to do that. Just don't do drugs. Anyways. They show up to church that night, and we, we're sitting in the back, and one of them had never been to church in his life, and we're just hanging out, and I don't know what the message was, I don't know what the song was that they were singing, but my friend Matt said, hey, I just feel like we need to go to the front. And so I went down, Matt on my left, Christian on my right, drug addicts, addicted, stealing, selling, dealing, the whole thing. We went down, came down to the front, and they both got set free on the spot. And so those same friends, the next Monday night, me and Matt started a Bible study in my office. And, and my friends kept getting saved every Monday night. Some of them are still in our church. Just about four months ago, Matt, he wasn't drinking, but he was at a bar. And my friend Kyle, who I grew up with, not that Kyle. That's big Kyle, in case you guys were wondering. That's big Kyle. Kyle has a roommate, and he's little Kyle. So that's big Kyle. Little Kyle was at a bar. Matt tells him his testimony about how he got set free from drugs. Kyle was not a Christian, grew up Catholic, hadn't been to church in his adult life. Here's his story and thinks, man, I need to get to church. So the next morning, Kyle shows up in church, just any other Sunday, just like this, same songs, a message. Kyle gives his heart to Jesus because of the testimony of Matt. And then two weeks ago, Kyle gets baptized. Come on, this isn't any other night in church. So I challenge you that as a church, we have a philosophy that anybody, any day could be someone's one day. And so tonight I believe that this could be someone's one day. That the atmosphere 
and the presence of Jesus, he's capable to set you free of addiction. He's able to heal your broken heart. He's able to heal the wounds of the past to redeem you and set your feet upon the rock to exchange your heart of stone for his heart of flesh. And so don't take this night for granted. Amen? Cool. All right. That wasn't in my notes. Was that all right? Cool. Clap. <laughs> That's just awkward space, so I don't know what to do. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of scripture. I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk about the scripture. You're going to have a chance to respond. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to be done. Is that easy enough? Cool. I just gave it away, so you know what to expect. Um, I should probably talk about church back home. <laughs> church back home is going really well. We became a Quipper Central Coast October 23rd, 2016. The church has been growing, people getting saved every week, people being baptized. Um, but I just want to honor Quippers, Auckland specifically, for paving the way for us in the United States. Um, a lot of people, and I don't know if this is true throughout, but I get this idea that some people look at my country as, as kind of big and the influencer and that whole thing. But can I tell you in the kingdom that New Zealand is the influencer? That you, the United States of America, our eyes are on New Zealand. And we could have chosen any other path, any other relationship, but we chose to do this thing with Equippers Church because we know, know that what God is doing in New Zealand is nothing to be ignored. And um, I just want to encourage you that Pastor Sam has this philosophy, we are who we are. We are corporately who we are individually, so every story in these seats counts. Every person that keeps deciding to show up to church, each person that keeps deciding to offer their gift to the house is actually paving the way for the move of God in the United States. So don't give up. Don't stop coming to church. Don't stop building what God's doing in New Zealand because America's depending on you. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for the, the, the way that you've paid for us in the U.S. Um, come and visit us. Yeah? I think it's the second best place in the world. Is it, would you say, second best? Cool. Now we're going to preach. Cool? John, chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Jesus changes water into wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. I did some math for you guys. Liters. You guys use liters? That's 75 to 115 liters. Just a side note. Here we go. <laughs> each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have said the best till now. It ends here. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Can we pray one more time? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the privilege to meet with you once again. And 
I just ask that your Holy Spirit would come and lead us into truth tonight. And God, that in that truth that we would find freedom. And God, any heart that's heavy, would you, would you lift the burden? God, we just ask that you lead us in your presence once again. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message tonight is Serving Saved My Life. Serving Saved My Life. Um, I grew up in church. My dad's a preacher. Um, I basically was born on the pulpit. Uh, just as all my memories are in church. I've been to a lot of churches across the world, across the country, the whole thing. I know who's who in the Christian zoo. I knew the right thing to say at the right time. I grew up in church. But when I was about 13 years old, we planted a church on the central coast of California. And my dad's a pretty unconventional guy. So um, instead of finding a building, we found a barn. Uh, we had, this was an active barn. Um, there was cattle involved, the whole nine yards. This is a real barn. It was a dirt road out to this ranch. No advertising, no nothing. We just started in a barn. And so when I was 13 years old, I decided that I'd start serving in my church. And we had this trailer and we'd unpack the trailer. And I think the whole sound system was, a, was about that size. And that was my responsibility. It's a big deal. Someone's got to put the CD in the CD player, right? <laughs> then you got to set the levels for the three ladies that don't know what they're doing on stage. Bless their hearts, but it was pretty bad. <laughs> but I found a lot of purpose in unloading that trailer every Sunday. I maybe didn't have the biggest grasp on who Jesus was at that time and what he had accomplished on my behalf, but I did know that something in serving other people was starting to save my life. I started to notice that when I would serve in church, I started to serve other people better. I noticed that when I got a job because of my experience in serving in church, I actually did a really good job. I noticed that when I got in school, other than that one hiccup in Bible college, <laughs> you see where I'm going. Serving actually saved my life. It was weird this morning preaching without setting up because me and Kyle, our job is to pick up the kids' trailer. Me and Kyle, every Sunday morning, he's got a big old American lifted truck. Is it lifted a little bit? He looks pretty cool driving it. He's the all-American baseball guy, come on. And he's single. <laughs> so we pick up the kids' trailer. It's the same trailer that we started in the barn with. Now it just holds our kids' church because church has grown. And we set up the church because I just can't get away from serving. And I tell you, the bigger the platform, the bigger the service. I'll get into it. I love this story because it's a, it's a mama knows best story. How I many know that mama knows best? No, come on. Guys are all timid. I mean that mama knows best. Mama knows best. How many mamas in here? Any, any mothers? Mums. You understand what I'm saying when I say mom? Or should I say mum? Mum. Any husbands with wives who are mothers? Any husbands with wives who are mothers? How many know that mama knows best? Mama knows best. Your wife knows best. This is a mama knows best scenario. So Jesus, he shows up at this wedding, and I would have loved to see what Jesus was like at a wedding. Anybody else? And uh, weddings back then, they were seven days long. So Jesus was up for a party. Like, he wasn't just stopping by. This wasn't just a casual appearance. Jesus was there to party, right? So I think sometimes that's why our church looks the way it does, because I think we get some sort of revelation that Jesus, he just likes to party. And so Jesus shows up at this wedding, and his mother, because she knows best, of course, um, had, had realized that this, this ceremony, they had run out of wine. And on, on day, 
a couple days into it, like he wants to keep the party going, the master ceremony. So they're kind of desperate. And Jesus knows the capability of her son because he's God. So of course he could do it. And uh, says, hey, son, I see you're here with your posse. Any way that you could help us out? And uh, Jesus said, no, no, it's not yet my time. It's not yet my time. And as I, I was reading this, I, I thought to myself, maybe the insignificance of where I've been asked to serve has given me the excuse to say it's not quite yet my time. Because the God himself putting on skin and bones, coming to earth, you would think that the miracles would be a little bit more, if I can use the word sexy, than turning water into wine. <laughs> would you agree? Man, my, my breakout appearance, my breakout performance has got to be a little bit wet, better than a, than a wedding banquet. Like I'm talking raise the dead stuff, any lepers around, let's do that. And I know Jesus, he was full of humility. He is God, he's full of humility. But if I go to my human mind, if I was God himself, I came to earth, I would be looking for a much more miraculous miracle. But some of us use it as an excuse. Hey, hey, would you just join the host team? No, I don't think you understand, man. My gift is on the it's from the platform. I got a good voice. <laughs> hey, would you, just, would you just mind sweeping up after everyone leaves? I would, but man, my time has not yet come. <clears throat> I don't know if you've seen my Facebook post lately, but I've been getting some revelation. My time has not yet come. But mom knows best. And so um, my first point tonight, she looks to the disciples, to the servants. My first point, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you. She looks to the servants. I think it's special that the word servants is used there. Because how many of you in this room want to hear the voice of God? Anybody? Come on. Who wants to hear the voice of God? Can I inform you that maybe those who hear the voice of God are those who are ready to respond to the voice of God. And so she looked to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you to do, knowing that the posture of a servant is ready to hear the voice of God. And so she tells the servants, uh, to, you know, do whatever he tells you to do. Jesus, he, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, point two, we'll just go there, right? Extraordinarily ordinary, point number two, extraordinarily ordinary. And what God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things, right? And what he calls you to is probably not going to be easy, and it's probably going to be really confusing. Abraham, clap, ready? Someone was doing already. God said to Abraham, go to the place where I will tell you. Anyone ever looked up the place where I will tell you on a map? Right, Ruth, follow your mother-in-law. I'm not going to tell the story again from this morning about my mother-in-law. <laughs> follow your mother-in-law. Yeah, right. Nehemiah, go build a wall. Noah, build an ark. Jesus, go to the cross. It's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard to understand. But sometimes when you make yourself open to hear the voice of God, you have to be willing to go the distance with him. Um, my dad... Uh, he, he's a pretty uh, innovative guy. He, uh, he's the type of guy that never took us to the doctor if we were sick. Like one, one, one day I got my head bashed open by our neighbor with a gardening tool. 
And instead of taking his precious little boy to the hospital, he took me in the bathroom, shaved my head, he shaved my head and put a Band-Aid on it. Like I was bleeding. <laughs> but it'll be all good. It'll be all good. Just last year, we had this truck, right? And I'm a church kid, grew up in church, and so I know now that nothing's really mine, nothing's really my family's, it's kind of everyone's, it's the church's. And so I had this white Ford Ranger pickup truck when I was 16 years old. My parents gave it to me as a gift. It was old, it was janky, so don't get too excited. Um, and, and so I drove that. Some girl ran into it, totaled it, rode it off. It was gone. So we bought another truck. And technically I can still say that that white truck was mine and we got rid of, they got rid of that truck. And then they got another little white truck. And I, I guess technically I could still say that was my truck. But my dad lent it out to some people in the church to tow a trailer. And they, were, they had a big load and they didn't load it correctly. And my dad was following them on the freeway. And the, the, the trailer started a fishtail. And so they're getting a little wobbly. My dad's behind watching this whole thing go down. They're getting wobbly. Finally, they spin around, flip over, sliding down the freeway. The guy in the passenger seat was eating a hot pocket. The hot pocket was all over the windows. My dad's watching this whole thing happen, making eye contact, sliding down the freeway on their side. Anybody else would say, man, that truck is done. My dad, though, they, they bring the truck to the house. It had just flipped over on the freeway. He gets the check from the insurance. He ties a rope to one side of it, a winch to the other side, pulls the body out, puts some Bondo in it, puts a new windshield, some new tires, and it is good to go. Still drives it. Because how do you know that sometimes we look to the outside for our miracle when the miracle is actually right in front of us? When sometimes we spend all the time wishing what God would do for us when he's actually done it for us already. And so Jesus, he looks at these six stone jars and they were used, they were ordinary, just for washing hands, washing dishes and people at the banquet, they would have been dirty. And uh, he said, okay, mama knows best. So what I want you to do, boys, I want you to take those ordinary old jars and we're going to do a miracle. So if you just take those jars and go fill them up, fill them up with water. And in our modern Western minds, we... We imagine filling these jars up with just a tap, right? Stick it under, a few minutes, we'll be good to go. 115 liters times six. I don't know. <laughs> but these guys were working on a well, so Jesus sent them off from the banquet to go pump this well. They thought it could have taken two to three hours to fill up all six. So these guys had put them some work. They know that Jesus is going to do a miracle, but they had to put in some work. And can I tell you, in church, we're expecting every Sunday for God to do a miracle, but sometimes we have to pump some water to make it happen. Sometimes we have to show up early. Sometimes we've got to set up chairs. Sometimes we've got to hang the speaker. Sometimes we've got to set up the LED wall. All because we know that God's going to turn, turn some water into wine. And so they spend their time, they're pumping and they bring back the water, and it doesn't actually tell us when it happens, but a miracle takes place. It says this, when the master of ceremony, here's point number three, you ready? If you're taking notes, servants see the miracles. Servants see the miracles. Verse nine, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew. 
Can I tell you that the servants are the only ones that day that saw the miracle happen? The servants had, they had seen the water. And now they had seen the wine. The people at the banquet, they were able to enjoy the fruit of the labor of the servants. But I say they weren't as fortunate because they actually didn't get to see a miracle with their own eyes. The reason, the reason serving has saved my life because over the last 13 years of dedicating my life to church and building God's house, trusting that he'll build mine, is because every time I go dig for water, every time I prime the pump to get water, I know that God will always do a miracle turning that water into wine. I get to see the miraculous work of God every single week. I get to see him set the oppressed free. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs. I've seen it all. And it's all because a few people have dedicated their lives to the water, trusting that it'll be turned into wine. It's the servants who see the miracle. And in your own life, um, just, just right now, what we're facing as a church, we have a 20-year-old young adult. He had cancer last year, tissue cancer, and it was a really rough battle, but he overcame. But uh, just a few months ago, he was diagnosed with leukemia as a result of the chemo from the first cancer. And uh, I talked to his grandmother on the phone about two, two and a half, three, oh, it's been a month and a half now. And she said, hey, did you hear? We're going to pick up Ryan tomorrow. We're gonna, he's going to be able to come home. He's doing really well. The next day I get a text, hey, Ryan's on life support. Something went wrong. His vitals are failing, kidneys failing, livers failing. And so as a community, we've rallied. We just had a community prayer event at our church uh, two nights before I left. And there was Catholics, non-Christians, the whole community came out. We agreed and we prayed together. See, Ryan's situation right now looks like water. But we've fasted, we've prayed, we've agreed. And I just got a report that the doctors are giving him through this weekend. If he doesn't make it through the weekend, they're, they're pulling life support. But what I'm standing on right now is that the same God who turned water into wine will turn my prayers into a miracle. And I don't know about you, but sometimes God may call you to love some, some ugly people, some messy people. And those messy people at the time, they might just look like water, but can I challenge you to trust God to turn that situation into wine. With your business, I know that sometimes it's hard to stay full of integrity when it comes to dealing with finances, that it's really easy to take the shortcuts and get ahead and you're just pumping the well day after day, crunching numbers, making it happen, making it work, paying the bills. But can I tr tell you and promise you that if you keep pumping that well and it, that God will turn your water into wine. I promise you, he did it here, he'll do it again. Here's the best part about this. It ends like this, verse 11. You guys there? This is the first of his miraculous signs. Jesus performed at Canaan Galilee. He thus revealed his glory. He thus revealed his glory. Um, I don't know about, like maybe some of you young people have seen these things on TV where people like flop on the ground, cluck like chickens, and like we call that revival. You guys ever seen this? It's a real thing. I believe in revival. I believe in sovereign acts of God. I believe that we got to contend for revival, that, that, that our lives should be dedicated to seeking God's revival. But when I think of God's glory, I think of like clouds, <laughs> right? Like when I think of God's glory, I think 
right now, like, you know, the glory filled the temple. So God comes in, his glory comes, we all fall down. Maybe we start clucking like chickens. I don't know what would happen. But anybody else, that's what I think of when I think of the glory of God filling an atmosphere. But it says here that Jesus revealed his glory. And he's God, he's sovereign, he's king of kings, lord of lords, god of angel armies. Like he can do anything just like he could have just, he could have just woven his magic wand to these jars and turned them into wine. He doesn't have a magic wand, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> right, but he could have done it. But the way that Jesus chose to reveal his glory was through partnering with people. He chose a bunch of average people who were just willing to obey, willing to serve, willing to go the extra mile willing to go fill up some jars with water. He chose to reveal his glory through partnering with ordinary people. And can I tell you, what Auckland needs is a bunch of people who are sold out to serving. What New Zealand needs is just more people who are willing to go into work and seek how to serve people and not so much be served by people. See, there's this thing. Clap one more time. <clears throat> I don't know about New Zealand, but in America, people love power. People love fame. Um, you guys have a thing here called the tall poppy instinct. Is that real? Cut people down. If anyone gets too much power, you cut them down. In the States, we're suckers for it. Like someone with power and influence. Like you can't walk around LA without seeing the paparazzi and who's who and where are they at and who are they waiting for? And the, like there's this need to be significant, this need to be noticed. And you see people going to extreme lengths to be recognized. It's this thing called the drum major instinct. Martin Luther King Jr. had an incredible sermon about the drum major instinct. And he resolved through study that the main motivator of human life is to be recognized, is to be noticed, it's, it's to be great, it's to be the head and not the tail. It's a instinct that we're born with and I don't think it's a bad one but I think what's happened is that we've perverted it maybe a little bit we've used this drum major instinct to build our own kingdom and not necessarily God's kingdom and the prime example I was at my little niece's talent show every girl in the United States right now is singing that Moana song <laughs> and so we're sitting there at this talent show these little girls are trying their, their hearts out just to sing this Moana song, how far I'll go, and it's really cute and they're really bad and we're just laughing, having a good time. And it's, it's precious, but during the talent show, this guy walks in, everyone knows, knows who he is. He's one of Donald Trump's personal friends, he's a multi-billionaire, he comes in with his posse, with his good-looking young girlfriend, the whole room, their attention turns towards this man. I'm thinking, man, how far have we gone? How low have we gone that our attention from these cute little girls just trying their best to sing this ridiculously hard song to sing? But for some reason, like we recognize that money is power and that, that fame is influence. And it's this drum major instinct that's been perverted. And I just want to close with this, Mark chapter 10, and if the band wants to come out. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They're sitting down with Jesus and they have this drum major instinct come arise in them. And it's not a bad thing. They get a lot of flack for asking Jesus this question. But they ask Jesus, Jesus, God himself, how do I get on your right or your left hand? 
How do I get to a place of in, uh, significance, of influence? And how do I sit with you in your majesty? And Jesus proposes this. He says, you can. You can sit on my left or my right. You can have power. You can have influence. You can be great. You can be the head and not the tail. You can. But the only way to do it is that you have to serve. So the beautiful thing about Jesus' invitation that anybody can be great. Because anybody can serve. Anybody can sit at the right hand or the left hand of God because we all have the ability to serve in some capacity. We can all do it. But Jesus goes on and he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and offer his life as a ransom for many. The son of man, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and offer his life as a ransom for many. And so what I really mean by serving saved my life is that the service of Jesus saved my life. Look, I, I did what I could, and, but if me serving saved my own life, it meant that I could have done something to save my own life, but it's just not the case. See, the service of Jesus, the laying down of his life, the washing of his disciples' feet, the, uh, the willingness to come, put on skin and bones, walk the earth, a sinless life and be accused, beaten and murdered, all in an act of service, that's actually what saved my life. See, serving, it saved my life. And you and I, our, our posture of greatness, our, our ability to enter into the kingdom expression of God is simply by service. And we can all do it. See, sometimes it costs us something. Sometimes it looks really ordinary. But I'm gonna end with this. There's a story in Acts chapter seven of a guy named Stephen. And if anyone wants the shortcut of the Old Testament, you should read Acts 7. It's the cheater's version. I would know. <laughs> it's the whole Old Testament, one chapter. It's Stephen pleading his case. Um, because Stephen's about to get stoned for his faith. And the crazy thing was, it would have been a platform about this high. They would have stood him up there. And he's just being accused because he's a follower of Jesus. And... Here's the thing, in culture then, before they would stone someone, they would give them the opportunity to kill themselves first. And so there he was, hands tied behind his back about this high, and he would have had the ability to jump off and try and break his neck, and if he did it just right, he would have died and not have to suffer the pain of being stoned. But he continues to tell the story, so it tells us that it didn't quite work out. So here's Stephen, hands behind his back, broken collarbone, bloody face, but the Bible says that his face started glowing. His face started glowing. And it says this, it says that he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He was standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the King of Kings, yeah? And so it means that he sits on a throne. And if we know anything about kings, the only reason that they get up from their throne is when royalty enters the room. And so here's Stephen laying down his life, being stoned for his faith in the service of other people on behalf of generations to come. Laid down his life and here's Jesus standing to welcome him into eternity. It's because in this kingdom, it's not about chariots and horses and Bentleys and 
big thrones and big kingdoms. In this kingdom, it's actually about the simple ability to lay down our lives on behalf of other people. See, in that space, God stands and he honors. So there's Stephen, our, our first martyr, the honored one by Jesus himself, all because he was willing to lay down his own life. And so our, inv our invitation is the same. It might not look the same. For some of us, it might be that at university this year, we choose to take a little bit extra time to help somebody that may need the help. It might mean that in our giving, we give sacrificially, trusting that God's doing something significant in this nation. See, this, to someone else, it might be actually showing up early to set up because this takes a lot of work. To some of us, whatever it looks like for you to prime the pump of water, trusting that God would do the miracle of turning into wine, whatever that looks like for you, I know it's what this nation needs. I know it's what my nation needs. And with the political climate and the whole up in arms all around the world, how beautiful of an expression of people who took the opposite stance. The people who are of a different spirit. The people who chose to come under and not lord it over people. The people who chose to serve and not be served. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to tell you a story. I never want to take it for granted that everyone in this church has heard the story of Jesus. See, if you're within reach of my voice, you were knit in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew you before the foundations of the earth. But through a strange sequence of events, we were separated from God. Our sins separated us. We missed the mark. And God had a plan to send his own son to put on skin and bones and come to earth and live a perfect life and be beaten, bruised, battered, and ultimately murdered for no good reason. But the Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I believe this, this, this evening, <laughs> we do morning church back home. <laughs> I believe this evening that you're the joy that was set before Jesus that day. And he went through all that. He went through laying down of his own life simply that he could be in relationship with you. Simply that you would come home. Simply that you would... Come back into his arms. See, the best thing about that story is it didn't end in the grave. Three days later, he rose again. And what that tells me is that God just doesn't make bad people good. He makes the dead come alive. So I don't care how far gone you are. I don't care how addicted you are. I've seen too much with my own eyes to believe that God's arm would ever be too short to save you in your circumstance. His arm's never too short to save because my God rose from the grave, it means that nothing that you've ever gone through, going through, or will go through is ever too big to separate you from the love of God. And this evening, I want to give you an opportunity to experience the redemptive power of Jesus Christ himself. If there's anyone in this room that's never made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of their life, I want to pray a simple prayer. I've prayed this prayer a thousand times. I believe that every time I pray it changes my life. And I believe tonight it will change yours. If there's anyone at all. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And the Bible says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. For the life to come in this life here on earth, 
If that's you this evening and you've never made that decision, would you just give me a wave? We're going to pray a prayer, but I want to know who I'm praying with. If you want to give this God life a chance, if you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus, trusting that he'll take your old life and trade it for a new one, trusting that he'll forgive your sins and cleanse you, if there's anyone at all who would want to make that decision tonight to make Jesus the Lord of their life, just give me a wave. We want to know who we're praying with tonight. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Let's say, I want to pray that prayer. I want to make that decision tonight. Awesome. Come on, this isn't any other night. Awesome. Anyone else tonight? There's been a few hands. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. We're gonna pray this prayer together. Whether it's your first time or your thousandth time, I believe that has the power to save your life. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, would you guys repeat after me? Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Tonight I trust that your grace is sufficient for me. Tonight I choose make you Lord of my life. Tonight I choose to exchange my old life for a new one. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Come on, give it up. Some people just made the best decision that they'll ever make in their life.